0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Blue Liar. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. <laughs> no! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is off.
0: What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Kelly Eco of The Athletic at Kelly Eco NBA. How are you doing, sir?
1: Hey, man. I'm glad I'm, I'm, glad I'm on. I, mean, I hate driving in Houston streets right now, but I had to make it on the show. So
0: yeah, yeah, I have some grievances with you, Kelly. So, we have been trying to get this podcast out. <laughs> For weeks, for weeks, I've been trying to book you. I, I feel like I, I feel like you're getting too big time for me. I feel like, like, uh-huh. like before I could just send, I can send my my friend Kelly a text, be like, hey, can you hop on the show? He, Kelly would be like, sure, where and when, and you'd be on. Now I feel like I'm going through a publicist. Now I got to schedule a meeting. I, I, and and things may not always break through. Like, what's going oh, on, Kelly? Man. Nothing, bro. It's just,
1: it's a busy season. I, I know you know that better than most people you do understand but yeah it's just passing ships in the in the in the in the wind passing ships in the sea yeah but i'm and hey, we're here right now though.
0: sure okay i'll take advantage of it i'll take care i'll i'll run with the scraps you give me but <laughs> let's go ahead and get to some rockets talk so yeah the rockets uh just snapped their four game losing streak yeah The team was kind of fractured for a second there. It was starting to look really dicey. Externally, I don't think the Rockets ever wavered, but internally, hey, losing sucks, man. The energy was kind of sucked out of that locker room. Uh, Again, they won a game since, but it was against a depleted Denver Nugget squad. Um, Kelly, what is it going to take for this team to get rolling? Because even before that, I didn't have a particularly high level of confidence in this team, and now they're on the outside looking in from the sixth seed. Is it just a matter of personnel, or can the Rockets do something to get going before they even take her with the roster?
1: I mean, they can. Uh, one part of, of that equation is getting everybody, you know, healthy at the same time for an extended run of games. But most of it is just them having effort, energy, you know, things that you shouldn't have to ask, you know, a veteran squad to, to produce on a nightly basis, given, you know, what their expectations and what their goals are. So – This losing streak for them, well, it's over now. But the whole point of it, the reason why the energy, to your point, was kind of sucked out of the building is because it kind of rocked them a bit. Just seeing how they were losing the games, you know, fourth quarter collapses, third quarter collapses, just not having everyone on the same page and not have everyone in in accord with, with one another. And for a team, you know, that wants to win it all, you can't have those kind of you know, rocky spells in the in the middle of the season, especially
0: in January. Yeah, so I've been kind of toying with the idea of the Rockets as a flip-switch team. You know, as a team that could, like, kind of like the Cavs of 2015-16, where, like, they were kind of in the same kind of malaise. I don't think they had the same kind of level of effort in the regular season. Defensively, they were middle of the pack, much like the Rockets. And then once, once the playoffs came around, they turned it on and they started to care because the opponents were much harder and they had to play them every other night and I'm kind of thinking like I'm kind of toying with the idea if it's possible that this Rockets team can be similar in that they have another gear, but it takes a level of care or importance on the game for them to turn it on. Well,
1: you know, in the last two seasons, we have seen this team, you know, flip a switch after the all-star break. Um, But in the last two seasons, you know, it was a different team makeup. You know, Chris Paul was there, twenty seventeen eighteen. They had an abundance of, <clears throat> you know, three and D wings, which they don't have right now. Um, so I think the switch, the switch is kind of harder to flip, just because this year it just seems different. I don't, I don't know that we'll see that kind of same switch unless you know they get some kind of trade done or some some help in in the front court. But for some reason, I just don't – I know they'll play better after the All-Star break just because, you know, as the playoffs get closer, you know, those guys will get more and more excited and amped up for games. But I don't know. It just doesn't It doesn't feel to me like years past when, you know, you could just say, okay, it's February 18th. The Rockets are going to go – Sixteen and three, or sixteen to four. You know the next twenty games. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like that to me right now.
0: Yeah, and I kind of agree with you because if they could flip a switch, you'd think they'd flip that switch against the Lakers or the Thunder or some of these high-profile matchups that just passed. But they didn't. Like they were good for like half the game, and then they stopped caring, as you said, and had these meltdowns. And you know, like I don't, I don't know, like uh, so. It sounds like you kind of agree with me in that the help has to come e- externally. They they have to make some sort of roster shakeup and perhaps add some size, maybe some shooting to this roster before they even think about flipping any sort of switch.
1: Yeah, to me, and this is kind of what it's kind of the sense I get from you know talking to people around the organization. But the biggest thing that they need is um someone to alleviate Tucker's minutes at the floor. You know, coming into the year, he, he, he kind of indicated that, you know, look, if if I want to be in tip-top shape heading into the playoffs, you know, I shouldn't be playing 36, 37, 38 minutes a night. You know, it was kind of more of a 28, 29, 30, you know, that kind of range. It just hasn't gone that way this season. Um, and while Tucker has been, you know, praised as – as an Ironman for so many, I think I saw some crazy stats about how many uh, games he played for NBA teams, but I think it was over like 700 or something like that. But now you're seeing him kind of banged up a bit the shoulder and it's, and it's to a point where he said he has nerve damage and it affects your shooting because, you know, as you know, shooting is a one, two motion and the way Tucker shoots the ball, his shoulders swing in a, in a really, you know, sharp angle. So, for that to be hurting him every time he touches the ball, you know, it's a problem. So I, I think they need either, you know, they need to see an improved Daniel House or bring in some external help because right now they're thin and and, and it's showing.
0: Yeah, by the way, what what's going on with Daniel House by the way? Because he, he is also struggling a bit. He's starting to turn on a little bit as of late, but in general ever since he was moved to the bench or even a couple games before he was moved to the bench, he, he he's his shooting's been off. He doesn't have that same level of confidence, that same level of swagger, um that full court uh, end-to-end running, the defense has been shaky. Like what's going on with him?
1: When you look at Daniel House, you have to remember this is his first year. You know, starting on an NBA team like extended period of time. So, you know, you have to give him leeway. You know, players are gonna, young players are gonna go through, you know, tough spells like that. You know, shooting slumps, uh, defensive mistakes, all that kind of stuff. But the reality of the situation is, the coaching staff, the reason why they 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 hold him so highly, is because. Uh, I was talking to one of the coaches and, and he said House, his presence makes the starting lineup more athletic. So when you look at people like Harden, when you look at people like Tucker, who my, they aren't the athletes that Russ is, they aren't the athletes that maybe uh, Capella is. So House is important to them in the sense that he gives them the athleticism. He's a bigger body. He is in somewhat ways Tucker's help at the four. You know, if given the way that Mike D'Antoni likes to change his lineups a bit and, and try different looks and small ball and things like that. Um, but he's, he went, he's going through a, a tough shot right now. Now, he had a good game against um, the Thunder. Um, it's just about you using that game to build on future games because, you know, coming off the bench is different when you aren't the kind of player that, you know, is like a Gerald Green or Ben McLemore who can just come in and, and start gunning, you know. House is a player... He's like a – he's, he like he's, a, he's a glue guy and he's a rhythm player. He needs to get early shots to, you know, feel his way into the game. So, um, I think he's just going through what all young players and all players in general go through which is a slump. And the key is how do you come out of that and how do you get back in the starting lineup?
0: Yeah, you touched on it briefly, but I, it's just something that's. But I've been interested about. Like, what do you think of this new lineup, uh, starting Ben McLemore? Because I'm, I'm just, I, I look at the lineup. You know, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Ben McLemore, PJ Tucker, and Clint Capel, Like, you can have two of those three players on the court at all times. Like, like James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Ben McLemore. But when you get three of them, you're just asking in a playoff setting. To me, like, it, you're just asking for teams to backcut you to death. And defensively, I'm not sure if that's good enough to hold up. Like it it doesn't really matter what lineup you start in the NBA anymore, but it has to be one of your six most important players. And I actually don't believe Ben is one of the six most important players on the roster. I think Eric is. I think Daniel is. I don't think Dan I don't think Ben fits that description.
1: Um, well yeah, um that's another reason why the reason why the coaching staff, you know, Speak so highly of House is because he picks up the dirty work that other guys might not want to do, especially during the regular season. He's the one that will guard Shea Gugz He's the one that will guard a Dennis Schroeder, a Chris Paul, and a Jeremy Grant. You know, one team. And in a perfect world, <clears throat> the Rockets have him in their starting lineup. But as a young player, Mike D'Antoni isn't—he isn't the kind of guy who, yes, he gives all players you know a leash. But at some point, he he will yank you if you're not playing to his standards. And it's up to you to play yourself back into, into you know, contention. So I think the starting – and also, if you go back to what he said a couple of weeks ago, he did say that this was not going to be a permanent thing with uh, Ben in the starting lineup. He just wanted to get a look at it. Um, so I think sooner or later, you'll you'll see House back in the starting lineup. And they are one and four with him this, off the bench, so mm-hmm. –
0: yeah. Now, what's funny here is amid the losing, Russell Westbrook is starting to find his rhythm. In the month of January, he's averaging 30 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, and 2 steals on 56% true shooting. What's interesting is he's effectively cut out his 3-pointers from the, from his shot profile. Like, he's only attempting 2.73s per game in this stretch. That's half of what he's attempting last season. He's basically decided... I'm only going to shoot layups and mid-range jumpers, and it was so abrupt that you almost thought, like, did someone in the organization come up to him and tell him, "Hey, just maybe we should just have you shoot mid-range jumpers and and only layups, and just have you stay away from the three-point line." Like, was that an internal decision or was that a Westbrook decision? Like, and we asked Mike D'Antoni about it, and it seems like it was not, this is something that Westbrook decided on his own. Like, he he just wants to play his game, and his game. It, it seems, is attacking the basket and feeding off of those mid-range jumpers. Like It seems like Westbrook is very much one or the other. He's a, he's either going to shoot a bunch of three-pointers and play very different from his, what he normally plays or shoot a bunch of mid-range jumpers and have that feed into him attacking the basket. They don't work in tandem. And... I'm just thinking, like, is this something we should expect from Westbrook moving forward? Is he just going to stop shooting threes, or is this just a stretch where he's doing so? Um,
1: I think it's a bit of both. I think right now he realizes that the Rockets are a team, because they're so three-point happy, you will get times where, you know, they go blank, they miss a bunch of shots, and Russ is so good at finishing around the rim that he's the one that told the coaching staff that he's going to do more to impose his will. You know, in the three months he's been here, four months, he, it's he's tried to feel his way into the team, seeing the spots where he can take to uh, play his game, the game that he knows. And one thing that he's good at is attacking the basket. Now there will be smart defensive teams that eventually – might clog the paint, you know, like teams. how teams kind of defend Giannis sometimes and will force him to hit that outside jumper. But for now, this is what they need because right now in this stretch, I think you have to throw all analytics, all X's and O's out the window. You just need wins, and you need guys that want to get you those wins. And if getting you a win is by Russ scoring 25 points in the paint, then so be it.
0: Yeah, and, and I I kind of tend to agree here. Like, I think I was wrong about him sh- having to shoot more threes and less mid-range jumpers. It seems like the mid-range jumpers feed into him attacking the basket, which is, you know, it's weird, but if it works for him, I guess it works for him, right? Like, if it forces him to take more shots at the rim... I guess that's what you kind of have to go with. I mean, he's ultimately most efficient at the rim than any other spot on the court. Uh and now he's getting he's inching his way closer to average shooting efficiency. Like he's at 51.4% true shooting. His PER is jumping up a little bit. Like he's starting to become more the player that the Rockets expected going into this season. Um so I I guess you just kind of have to say, you know what? Like this this is this is the way he wants to play. Uh, this this is how he's most effective, and um, I, I I I don't think the Rockets have any sort of problem with that. Um, what's also interesting is that he's also seemed to taken on a new leadership role with the team, and we've all reported on this, right? Like after that loss to the Blazers, the Rockets had a lengthy discussion in the locker room before Mike D'Antoni was slated to speak to the media. They will deny the phrase "team meeting" all all they want, but because it has a negative connotation, but we all know what it was. It was it was a team meeting, and. By all accounts, Westbrook led the meeting. He was the most vocal one. Uh, my question is, how much does this matter? Like, how significant is it that while Harden will always be the best player on the team, Westbrook has sort of become the leader of the team overnight, the vocal leader?
1: Um, I don't think it matters all that much, you know, because... The whole point after last season, the way they, you know, crashed out of the playoffs and when James said he knew exactly what they needed, he meant veterans, veteran experience. They went out and got Tyson Chandler. They went out and got Thabo Sefolosha. They went out and traded for Russell Westbrook because they needed vocal leaders. They needed a presence. Uh, James is not going to be the one to do everything on his own. You know, that's, he's kind of, he's more of a leader on the court. Whereas Russ, Russ is the one who, like Chris Paul, will will get in your face. He will yell. He will get his point across to you. Now, it's usually constructive criticism. It's not like he's trying to berate his teammates. But he is – he has taken the the role of an emotional leader. And for a team like this that has a bunch of, you know, vets trying to – who have been through, you know, NBA pain and stuff like that, they need someone to kind of be the equalizer for them. And that's kind of what Russ is. And the fact that he was able to, you know, go around the room and just tell everybody what they needed to do, including himself, um, it was something that was well-received. It was something that the team, they needed. And it was kind of a wake-up call, you know, before the ship sunk anymore.
0: Yeah, Um And the question we've debated all year, and we've talked about it on this podcast, other people have talked about it on other podcasts, uh, it's been a national conversation, and I think it's been something that's been worth discussing, um, is whether the Rockets will come to regret the Chris Paul trade. I tend to believe Houston should have stood pat this summer, but here's the thing. The trade happened. It's over. You can't take it back. Uh, the long-term implications of that trade are important to discuss. But I think a more pertinent question for the Rockets this season is, can Westbrook be the second best player on a championship team? And I don't really know the answer to that, but it's been something I've been thinking of. And I don't know, like, where do you stand on this question?
1: Um, I, th- I think he can. I think he's proven it before, even though the Thunder weren't, you know, the the championship team they did lose to the Warriors in game seven after that three1 you know collapsed but he was the second best player on that team in that series um, he was the second best player whenever they went to the finals against uh, the heat so he can be that guy it's a it's a matter of who are the complementary pieces you know, you know who, are, who are the guys who are the guys that are gonna take up a role you know is Clint Capella going to be a run protector? Is, is is he going to be able to stay on the floor? You know, unlike the situation we saw against Kevin Looney and Jordan Bell last season, is he going to be able to impose his own will? Are Dale House and Ben, ben going to hit enough shots? Are they going to, you know, pick up the defensive work for everyone else? It's going good, it's good, it's good to come down to other things more than Russ, because on its own, you know, whenever you look at that trade, you know, the Rockets wanted to, to try something different. It wasn't It wasn't them saying, you know, Chris is never going to be at that level again, because if that was the case, they're certainly wrong for that. <clears throat> but Russ gives them a new dimension. You know, he he's athletic as hell. He's, he's showing them, you know, a different way to attack the paint, even though him and Chris are different. They're both point guards. They, they arrive at their destinations different ways. So I don't think that trade, you know, the reason why people – hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, that's what I would say. So everyone's saying, oh, they should have kept Chris Paul and, and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's not. It's really come down to all these games that the Rockets dropped that they shouldn't have dropped, and that's why it gives people, you know, more of an onus to say that. Now, in the playoffs, who knows? Maybe there will be a team that forces Russ to shoot outside shots and he can't make them, and then you have some justification saying, okay, if Chris was here, you know, blah, 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 he would have hit those shots. But everything is just hypothetical at this point, so I think.
0: Yeah, like, like here's the thing: like it's it happened. You can't take it back. Like yeah. this, this is what the Rockets have to work with. Like, and you know, you, you can you can fret about that trade all you want. And I, I do think again, the long term implications are important to discuss. Yeah. But there's nothing the Rockets can do about it anymore. They have they have they have Westbrook on the team, and yeah. they're not they're not it's not going to change any time over the next few years. He's probably, probably going to be on the team. So for the duration of that contract. So, yeah. I mean, the the more important question is: Is this team good enough? And as of right now, I tend to think no. But it is an interesting time in the NBA calendar. We are two weeks away from the NBA trade deadline. Uh, the Rockets are presumably going to trade Nene. like that. That's that's going to happen. Now, what's it? What's what what what's more of an interesting question is: What kind of deal do they trade Dene in? Are they going to use his contract in a way that improves the team? Are they going to are, going to, are they going to try to get something of significance back or are they going to trade him away with, with second round picks and some cash considerations? And are they going to try and maybe package other players in this trade? You know, like they have a bunch of players on the team that frankly have no use to the rocket to, at this point, like, like Tyson Chandler. I don't think in a playoff setting, Tyson Chandler is going to present much use to the rockets. Um, Tabo Cephalosha, you know, he's starting to play a little bit more, but I don't think, again, in a playoff setting, he's has much use to the Rockets. Are the Rockets gonna package some of these minimum salary players and try to pull a significant trade off? I don't know. Where do you stand on things right now, Kelly?
1: Um, I don't I don't think they're gonna package those guys because you know, James wanted those guys to come in. So I don't think they'll package those guys. Now when it comes to Finding a move, yes, Nene's contract, yes. uh, However remaining future picks they have, I think those two are the major major things in play, you know, whenever they scour the market for, you know, additional help. But you have to also realize the Rockets are a team who, maybe more so than other teams, they do take into account, you know, or the, at least starting to more you know chemistry morale stuff like that. So, if you bring in a major player, who might impact the rotation, you know they do look at all those angles. So, my guess it would be a lower level type ad. You know, Gary Clark is still out there. If if he's around after after the deadline, they would like to bring him back. Um, when you look at players like maybe, if if there are any buyouts like a kid Gilchrist or, you know, something like that, that's something that, that, that they would look at. But um, for the most part, you know, I don't think Tyson and Thabo are going to be up for sale just, just because, just because, you know, James wanted them here. Now Dale is not, is not the person that will necessarily care about that. You know, if a deal presents itself, but right now I just don't see it, you know, them them being packaged along with Nene for somebody. Now because that Nene contract really hurt them. The fact that it can't it couldn't be used as a ten million dollar, you know, trade chip. That that's what really cost them. And I've talked to people around the league and they said that that might be the single like after the season is dead and gone, that might be the single biggest storyline for the Rockets. Possibly bigger than, you know, the whole China stuff. That Nene's contract. You no, know, the league stepped in and said, you're not going to do this. And it effectively, you know, slashed their flexibility ahead.
0: No, yeah, it, it was basically a human trade exception that they could have snagged a significant player out of, and now they no longer have that chip. Like, I don't know how much more significant you can get than that kind of a trade asset. And the Rockets, at this moment, don't have much in the way of trade. Eric Gordon cannot be traded. Uh like they're they're not gonna trade James Harden, Russell Westbrook, or PJ Tucker, or they're not gonna trade Clint Capella. They're not gonna trade their core players. So you're stuck to guys like Nene and you're stuck to guys like you know, like lower fringe level guys that teams frankly don't want and that you're frankly gonna have to give a first round pick to get someone of of use and as of this moment like I'm looking at the market and I, I you know there are some there's some names. I'm I'm not going to say there aren't any names, you know. Markeith Morris is a name. Um you know like maybe Bielitza like the the Kings might give up on him. Maybe that's that's a player that could be had. You know there's you know there are buyout guys. Marvin Williams is a guy that I that perhaps, you know, the Hornets decide yeah, you know, we're done here. We should probably just pack it up and quit and buy out Marvin Williams, let him go where he wants to go. That's a name. Uh, Iguodala is obviously a name, but every team in the NBA wants Iguodala. Um There are names, but it gets really dicey, and you're expecting you're you're expecting things to go your way, which sometimes they don't. You know, last year a lot of things didn't go the Rockets' way. You know, they they thought they had Marquise Morris in hand. I I, I, I till this day I, I I believe it in my soul. Like I think they I think they thought they had Marquise Morris before he went to OKC. Uh, that didn't go their way. You know, like, other buyouts didn't go their way. And, you know, trades didn't go their way. Jamichael Green is a name that they thought they they could possibly get the trade deadline in. It didn't go their way. So, like, you're banking on a lot of things to go your way. And that's what's, that, That's why it's so difficult for the rocket for me to picture the Rockets getting up to a different level in terms of contendership as a team. You know, the, the fact that they have such limited flexibility and that, you know, there aren't that many players to be had Right at the deadline. I mean, especially in the price range that the Rockets are looking are working with. Like they they're not gonna trade for a ten million dollar player because they don't have ten million dollars in salary. They're looking at like three to five million dollars and that player has to be good enough to fork over a first round pick. So when you narrow it down to those kind of those kind of standards, like that's tough. That's really tough.
1: Yeah. Um it's just a matter of you know, A bit of finding the right fit, finding the right price point, and someone who won't, you know, screw up the rotation for everyone else. So I think when you look at all those external factors, it kind of whittles down the the playing field a bit. The question is do the Rockets believe, you know, that they need to do that? Now they're always looking for some help. And if one presents itself, you know, they'll. They'll strike, but I don't think this year they're as flexible as years past. So it might be a bit harder, and, and we'll see. We'll see if the winds pick up, or you know, or if they're forced to play their hand a bit. Are they? Are they going to bite the bullet and, and put some players together, or are they going to stand pat and try and add around the fringes? You know, who knows. But the the, the most important thing is what the guys they have right now do on the court. And right now they've won one to five. And, you know, they have to get some wins on this tough road trip ahead because right now I think they're closer to seventh than they are second. So I, I think it's really important, especially this year where you're seeing, you know, the, the Thunder, the Mavericks, teams like that, who are playing well and who are also going to fight for a player position. And, you know, it's, it's, it's important that you don't drop, like, games here and there because if you end up in a first round against OKC or Dallas, I don't know if you just say Houston 4 or 5. I don't think so. So I think whoever they add has to be you know good enough to impact a playoff series and stuff like
0: that. Yeah, and we we talk about all the time how the Rockets put themselves in a hole last year with, with the way they started and how they're they're in a such a be- they're in a much better position this year because of you know, they didn't start basically behind 10th place. Like they're they're much they started the season much better, but you look at the standings because of this rough stretch, they basically have one more win than they did at this point last season. So, it's tough. Like you're you're basically at the same spot you were last year and for them for the Rockets to to climb much more than they have right now like they're going to have to they're going to have to get a serious win streak together as you said and their record coming up i mean their schedule coming up it's tough this this road trip is tough like that Utah and uh Denver back to back is no joke and Denver's going to have a, a fuller rotation next time like that's a guarantee they're not going to have Paul Millsap, Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris all out at the same time, they're going to have a lot, at least two of those players back by the time they play the Rockets. So it's going to be tougher. And again, like the the Western Conference, they're not going to give you any freebies this year. Like it's it's just not. And you know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Like I the the question about the Rockets getting a win streak together is, I think, the most central question. Uh, to end the season like even more so than anything they can do with the trade deadline because as we know they're lim- and we just talked about they're very limited flex- flexibility wise but thank you so much for coming on Kelly where can we follow you on Twitter and where can we listen and read your work
1: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter Kelly Eco NBA um, Twitter Instagram subscribe to the Athletic three the ecosystem every week uh, and subscribe to the Brody and the Beer podcast
0: as well on yeah. all
1: your social media platforms.
0: Yeah, Kelly's getting onto my turf. He's getting onto my turf. It's it's bumming me out. It's, it's bumming me out, but we're going to have to go with it. So uh, so make make sure you follow Kelly uh, and read all this fantastic stuff. Uh, make sure you follow this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at @SoMaliNBA. And yeah, guys, good night.